What are you doing? I'm doing the bit from the... Hello and welcome to Punk Goes Pod, the internet's only podcast that chronicles Fearless Records' Punk Goes series. To answer the age-old question, hell yeah or yeah nah? This is what happens when I don't screw around with you, because I feel like if I did this week, I would probably get punched. No. I... Shoe on the other foot, though. Like, I got backed into a corner and that's how I came out with... I still don't know what you're doing. Are you doing this week's song? Yes. No? (laughs) (laughs) Let's just put the song in here. This week we are covering the song Hold On, We're Going Home by Drake featuring Majid uh, Jordan as covered by Volumes for Punk Goes Pop 6. I Am I wrong? Do they... Do they spell it volumes in all caps? I don't know. No, that's, and that's all good. We don't need to know. It's fine. Um, I reckon executive decision. I think we keep this episode pretty lean because we've got an exciting interview to transition into at the end. We do. And it's like, it's like two episodes ago. It's kind of a long one. I know. Um, so this week we are going to talk to, Toronto's own Sam Sutherland. Um, I'm sure some of you know Sam from a bunch of things. I give him a very lengthy intro at the top of the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, hell of a guest. I oh, yeah. had a brilliant time talking to him. So massive thank you up top for Sam Sutherland. I also had a good time talking with him. Always good to get to know another Sam in the yes. world. Uh, he is basically uh, him and Josiah with Blink-155, formerly now just 155. Yes. Are basically like our pod fathers because we stole their format. Yes. <laughs> I keep forgetting that and you keep bringing it up, which of course you should. Um, I rather call them pod daddies. Yeah, that'll do. Cool. Um, You're not fighting me on that, so cool. I haven't got anything left in me to fight. I, <laughs> I this, had. This is the time when we really 
go off the wall. Yeah, I um took the longest walk and I have nothing left, but I have enough to get through one episode, but it only one. Okay. Let's go. So, let's get into Drake, I guess. Yes. Uh the other Torontoan. Uh t- Toronton? I don't I, know. I don't know. <laughs> He was well. He was born Aubrey Drake Graham in 1986 from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Mm-hmm. His father, Dennis Graham, at one time drummed for Jerry Lee Lewis. That's cool. Dennis met Drake's mother, Sandra Graham, nay Cher, at Club Blue Note in Toronto, where he was performing. Graham has claimed that the image Drake created of him being an absent father in his songs was embellished to sell records. Drake has denied his father's claims, however. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of a he said, he said kind of situation there. It sure is. At the age of 15, Drake landed a role on the Canadian teen drama Degrassi, The Next Generation. Drake played Jimmy Brooks, a high school basketball prospect who became physically disabled after being shot by a classmate. The series' creators said Drake would arrive late on set after spending nights recording music. He developed a deal with the set security guards where they would let him in after hours and he would sleep on set so he would stop arriving late. That's one way to solve it. I kind of like that, though. It shows that little bit of like, all right, I'm going to still record my music, but I also want to dedicate, like, I don't want to, like, half-ass this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really put too much else into Drake because I feel like he's one of those artists, you know who Drake is. And also we have a very lengthy conversation about just Drake as a cultural presence in Toronto specifically um, with Sam, which I think that does way more justice to Drake and his whole thing than us rattling off a bunch of facts about him. Yeah. So would you like to rattle off some facts about the song? Yes. Uh, So... Hold On, We're Going Home was the second single from Drake's third studio album, Nothing Was The Same, which was released in 2013. Uh, as we mentioned up top, the song features Canadian R&B Joe Majid Jordan and was produced by Noah Forty Shabib, who has worked with the likes of Lil Wayne, Action Bronson and Rihanna. Uh, regarding the song itself, Drake compared himself and Forty to the likes of Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson. So make of that what you will, I guess. I mean, it was a successful enough song. I don't know about... I'm sure the album was successful enough. I don't think it was quite as successful as the collaboration between Michael Jackson and Quincy, but... I wouldn't have thought so, but that's No, fine. no. But, like, you got to shoot for something and yeah. might, might as well shoot for the top. Uh, the film clip was directed by Bill Pope, who did the music videos for Nasty by Janet Jackson. No, no, you're saying it wrong. Nasty. Nasty. Ms. Jackson, if you're nasty. Uh, one by Metallica and Somebody's Crying by Chris Isaac. The one film clip is quite chilling. Like, it's not even, like, not even, like, outwardly horror, but, like, the song is just sort of about, like, PTSD from war. Shit. Uh, yeah, it's, it's not a happy song and film clip. That's bleak. Yeah. Uh. So, yeah. How are you doing? I got distracted by the film clip. Um, we can talk about the film clip a little bit later on, but what do you think of Hold On, We're Going Home? I really like this song. It's a really good song. 
it's one of those songs where as soon as I heard it, like that first listen, I was like, yep. And every time I hear it, I was like, yep. I never get sick of it. Did it make its way over here? I didn't, I didn't write down the charts for like the first time ever. I didn't, I didn't ever write what it, this is the first time ever I didn't write how it charted. <laughs> I love that you're asking me when you wrote the run sheet. Uh, let me have a look. Let me, uh, in the interim, let me ask you, how are you going through, uh, how are you going through my playlist that I made you? I'm enjoying it. I I guess while we're on mic, I've got everything that I need to say here, but let's talk about this. So Sam has made me a playlist akin to a mixtape. Mm-hmm. Were we still working with analog technology? Well, I guess slightly digital, slightly analog. Yeah. Um, and I guess, yeah, while we're on mic, like what, like... What was your vision for that playlist? Because when I was talking about you're like, ah, you've just made it through the blah, blah chapter. I was like, I don't understand you. So my vision for at least the majority of it was not necessarily like, oh, my favorite songs. Of course, some of it is my favorite stuff. I would hope so. A lot of it is my- That's the whole point. A lot of it is my favorite stuff. But basically, because you've had this question of like, what defines, what's the distinction between, say, death metal and black metal? Mm-hmm. And so I've basically split it into pockets of three songs from a genre or I a subgenre. Know- I noticed that, and each is punctuated by like an 80s or new wavy kind of, or pop song. Yeah, I, I give you a palate cleanse. <laughs> I give you a little. This is the this is the the jar of coffee beans that you yeah. sniffed at to refresh your palate, yes. so to speak. Um, so basically, it was. It was basically. Well, I'm gonna. I I think I initially was like, all right. Well, I'll show you my favorite metal songs. Yes. But then it was like, why don't I go a little bit more interesting with it and go? All right. So the first one was melodic death metal. The next one was black metal. Uh, I can't remember. It's like. So then there's like American thrash, German thrash, uh, straight up death metal. So did we actually have this conversation when you handed it over to me? Nah, nah. Because <laughs> it was basically going to be like, I wanted you to sort of be like, what the fuck was that? And then I was going to go, oh, well, it's because of this. See, I think, look, we can take this off mic, but maybe I might just jot down some notes about like, this section is this metal, this is this. Because to me, I wasn't make. I was just like, oh, that's funny that he's just sort of grouped songs together, but punctuated metal with not metal, yeah. as opposed to this type of metal, this type of metal, this type of metal. Yeah. Um, but no, I am enjoying it. It is quite a trip having you like have your shower and like listening to your music and then like go into the bedroom to get changed and you're listening to Freezing Moon by Mayhem. Like that's <laughs> that's quite a trip for me. <laughs> Never, never thought I'd experience that. You mean I never told you I was the world's biggest mayhem fan? Uh, I mean, you might have said that on our first date, but I was so self-absorbed with my own shit, oh. and I was so nervous. <laughs> but no, I enjoy it. Um, so, so, how did Drake chart over here? So he. The song sold 207,000 copies in Canada in 2013. It peaked at number four in the UK, um, received heavy rotation on South African radio stations, peaking at number one on the South African airplay chart. Oh. 
Uh, number eight in Australia on the ARIA charts. Okay. Number five in Canada, as it should. Well, it should, should be, be number one in Canada. Look, they were probably just being polite and like letting other people go. It's, yeah, maybe they were like, well, we don't want to be stereotypical. We don't want it to just be, you know, number one because we think it's number one. Oh, this, this is really annoying. It doesn't have like a sort function. Like normally someone will chuck in Wikipedia like a sort so you can get it from like top to bottom in mm. terms of where it charted. Um, charted number one in the US on the hot R&B slash hip hop songs on Billboard charts and the US rhythmic charts. Uh, let's look at the worst. Well, not the worst. <laughs> number 72 in Austria. That's its peak position. So okay. they're, they're not, <laughs> and that's the top 40. So <laughs> they're not the biggest fans, I guess, in Austria. <laughs> I mean, it charted. Did, well, top 40 in a, at 72. Oh, okay. So no, it didn't they chart. They just sort of kept counting. Um, see, look, Czech Republic are very, um, what's the word? Very balanced about this. So the singles digital top 100, it came in at number 50. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're sort of like, yeah, Half, look, it's halfway there. You look, take it or leave it, to be honest. Like, <laughs> it's okay. Um, but yeah, in general, like, it did pretty well. So year end charts for Australia, like, it only peaked 59. I never do year end charts. That's fine. I'm just doing it for funsies. Cool. 42 in Canada, number seven on the US rhythmic and year end charts. Decade end charts, so the 2010 to 2019 hot R&B slash hip hop songs, it charted at number 41 in the US. I guess, I mean, so this did okay in Canada, but it was probably punctuated, like the other songs, singles from this album probably did better. I don't know what... See, I don't see, like, I think this was probably the best single on um, Nothing Was The Same. Let me have a look. I am going to take a look. But, like, because Sam gets into this, like, part of the reason why he loves Drake so much is that Drake Drake very much incorporates his roots into his music and his roots being Toronto. Yeah. And it's like, well, if, you know, some of those songs... Again, I haven't listened to this album, and I think we said we were going to... I think we said to him we were going to listen to it. I did listen to it. And I didn't. I'm sorry, Sam, if you listen to this episode. (laughs) I listened to it. It's from one Sam to another. I am humbly apologizing. Go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so yeah, I listened to nothing was the same on one of my government mandated walks the other day. Um, the best kind of walk. Yes. Um, Sam, other Sam, not my Sam did say like, this is not his favorite album of mm. the ones like he recommended listening to, if you're reading this, it's too late. Um, that one was good. Um, I can see why he recommends that over this. Like, this is fine, but it all just starts to sound a bit samesy. Like, hold on, we're going home. Started from the bottom. They're probably like the two best singles off this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fine, but it's just. Like, I can see why there was hype surrounding it, but I'm not like, holy shit, this 
album is incredible. Mm. But again, I'm not the target market, so that makes perfect sense. Mm. I think I've just not really, and I'm going to say something controversial here, I'm not, I've not really invested myself into Drake because I'm kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop oh, with Drake. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's it's been known that allegedly. he had like well not allegedly, he had a friendship with, you know, actresses like Millie Bobby Brown and like he was mm-hmm. friends with uh a then seventeen or sixteen year old Billy Eilish, and it's mm-hmm. like that's a grown ass man with teenage girls and like the whole thing with like him making out with a 17 year old girl on stage and then that's right continue to when he found out it's like Ugh. i've sort of like taken those things in before i was able to sort of listen to his music and it is kind of like that thing of like you find a new black metal band and you're like i need to do a google search about this band's mm-hmm. politics before i really invest myself and it's like kind of just waiting for the other shoe to drop there yeah with yeah no, um, that makes perfect sense but you know it is all stuff that we know. So, yeah. you know, that doesn't take away from the fact that this is an excellent song. Mm. And it, it's just so, like, I can melt into the furniture when listening to this. Like, it's just so wonderfully mellow. Yeah. and it, But not in, like, like, there can be mellow that's boring. Yeah. This, this isn't. But, like, it doesn't, doesn't go past 60 on this, like it doesn't kick itself up to a to a hundred. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I think we touched on this in our interview, where like it sort of it doesn't go beyond a certain threshold. Yeah, like it just sort of keeps the same flow, the same sort of pacing from top to bottom, and we kind of love that. Yeah, like I wouldn't be surprised if there's no time changes or anything in it. That like it just- the only bit, of, like I guess the bridge, like the. Yeah. Yeah. But just even like for such a for such a low key song, even like the chorus is so catchy. Yeah. Like it is. It's just such a terrific song that would be like if I was to do like a lo-fi lo-fi tunes to chill out to. Yeah. This would be probably my opening track. Yeah. You know, it has that sort of like that drum beat and it just kind of kicks in. And yeah, what do you think before I go further, <laughs> before I railroad this further? Um, look, I've pretty much said what I wanted to say, I think, cause like, it's just, it's good. Like I have never been a huge Drake fan. Like I said, I'm not part of that target market. Like I will say with the one exception of hotline bling. Yes. Yes. And that's the thing is like. I'm not a fan of Drake, just generally. Like, yeah. doesn't blip on my radar much. But like, I he is really good at releasing like excellent singles. Yeah, and he's very good at releasing singles that are quite lo-fi, and they do a lot. Like, they, they work very hard for what they are. Yeah. Like, Hotline Bling is literally just like elevator music with yeah. him over the top. And it's great. I did like, um, so someone did put Hotline Bling, so like his his vocals over, I think it's the Wii Shop music. Yeah. Because they sort of came around at the same time as like the Wii Shop music is a meme yeah. and Hotline Bling, like the yeah. dance. Um, but it just sort of, it, it kind of was like, oh yeah, it is just sort of, yeah, Elevator or like, 
you know, Wii Shop music. Yeah. And it kind of works. But it's clever. Like yeah. it. And again, because you're not, or at least not that I'm aware of, like you're not fucking getting down to that song because it's very low key, but you're just vibing to it mm. and it's fun. How many hours of the Wii Shop music do you think you could listen to? I would be willing to listen to it for at least eight hours. Yeah. See how long it took me to go completely postal, I guess. This is why I should never be put in charge of, like, the music in a shopping centre. Because I would do something like I would have the Wii Shop music on, like, a (laughs) 10-hour loop. Just 10 hours of that. I still definitely want to put Call Me Owl just on a loop and just see how long it takes for me to just descend into... Madness. I love that song, but just uh, an endless loop of ba da ba 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 da ba ba. Like that would be wonderful until it was not, and that shift would happen very quickly. Then it just like slows down and gets deeper. <laughs> like my nose just starts bleeding. <laughs> Is uh, that the sort of song though, where like the end could then lead into the beginning again? Not necessarily seamlessly, but I think, I think very close. Yeah. Like, yeah. It just, it feels like a very cyclical song. And yeah. I always appreciate songs like that where they sort of bookend themselves. Yeah. Um, but back to Drake. Hey, do you know something that has a completely different tone to the song? The film clip. Yeah. Um, as soon as it, cause I hadn't watched it before. No. Which I don't know why that surprises me, but, um. So it's, it's, it's like a short film. Because it goes for seven minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as soon as, like, the title card, it's like Toronto... No, ni- it's Miami. Miami, 1985. Sorry. 1985. And then it cuts to Drake being, like, a mogul kind of person with... They're in a club. Some other guy, which might have been the guest on the song. Uh, was it Majid? Uh, so Majid Jordan is, like, Majid two... Jordan. People. Yes, they might have been in... I think they were. And yeah. then, um... It's kind of a dog act if you sort of didn't have them in the film clip, and I think. And then Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim, which makes me very happy. Who doesn't have a name outside of his acting credentials. He's just Young Neil. Hang on, I'm fine. I'm, I think I know... I think it's Johnny Simmons, but I feel like I'm making He looks up. like a Johnny. Yeah, Johnny Simmons. He I went was to sp- also Chip in Jennifer's body. I went to school with a kid called Johnny, and I got drum lessons from his brother, and he <laughs> looked like Johnny Simmons. Um, so, yeah, they're celebrating. The- one of them's like, hey, we never thought we'd be here three years ago, but look at us now. And it's like, what are they doing? What do they What do? They do? What do they make? They make money yes. is what they make. And... Then Drake's girlfriend, who's not there for some reason, celebrating this thing with him. Because she's been kidnapped. Because she was not there. She's at the home in a negligee getting- She was probably getting ready to go out and then got kidnapped. Uh, well, yeah, she was because because they find a dress. Yes. But yeah, she gets kidnapped by a rival gang, I guess. And it turns out that your friend Young Neil is a, is a- is a snitch. Yep. He's a rat. And he how, gets, how could he? He gets capped. But like, it's like, it's so, 
it's so meaningless that this is set in 1985 Miami. Yeah, there's no visual cues to either of those qualities. The only thing is that Johnny Simmons' hair is, like, quaffed and he's wearing a single earring. And Drake is kind of wearing a Miami Vice. But he's just wearing a white suit. Like, it isn't even, like... But that was Miami Vice. With, like, the... With the... Like, with no button-up... Like, with just a regular T-shirt and, like... But like, that was the Miami Vice look, sorry. I feel like even the cut of the suit, though, it's not particularly... Like, the shoulders aren't particularly prominent. Like, it's sort of... It yeah, you're very right. very well. You're right, yeah. And then, yeah. So then so then they go to rescue the girlfriend. They've got a whole lot of guns. And then it's just guns. And then it's... And they're wearing hoodies and balaclavas. Which is like, at that point, why is it set in 1985? And it's just like... And also, why are they wearing balaclavas when, like... The dude called him to be like, hey, I've got your girlfriend. Literally, the guy knows who's coming to kill him. <laughs> Literally. It's like, I kidnapped my greatest gang rival's girlfriend. And the door, like, kicks open and he's like, who is it? <laughs> 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 Hello? <laughs> who may I ask is calling, please? Like, it's so, it's so, like, it's stylish and it's slick. But it makes it has no connection to the song, and it has no connection to the eighties, and it feeds into that stereotype of oh, every rapper, even the Canadian ones, just wish they were in Scarface. Mm. Because like he has a huge gun collection. I'm assuming Drake is like a drug kingpin or something. Because yeah, Miami yeah. in 1985. I I just I'm flabbergasted <laughs> by this thing. It's just. It's so weird. And it's just like, it's just a power fantasy as well. Yeah. Yeah. We- <laughs> 100%. And I get that bit, but it's just like, it doesn't make sense that it's set in the 80s. No, not- As soon as I saw that title card and then looked at the video, I was like, nah, like, I- you've lost me. I think they just wanted the club scene and it was like, well, people only clubbed in 1985 Miami. Yeah, and they only- Pedal drugs in 1985 yeah. or Dr- Drugs, basically, like, they ceased to exist in 1986. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, it's it's a weird one. Um, he compared him, him and 40 to Quincy and Michael. Mm-hmm. This is no thriller. And I'm saying ah. that... I'm saying that because thriller itself was also, like, a short film yeah, 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 in yeah. the film clip. And it's like, that was goofy, but that was also, like, that's iconic. Like, I like that this is sort of over the top in terms of what it is. Like, mm. he literally could have just done something where he's standing and delivering in some sense of, like, a visual setting. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, instead, it's this whole narrative, but it just doesn't fit the song. No. And it doesn't fit 1985. No. No. And the girl gets choked out, so that's upsetting. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Speaking of choked out, let's talk about volumes. Well, yeah, I was about to say, speaking of upsetting. Um... You're a good girl and you know it. 
to tell us I guess about volumes volumes uh, formed in 2009 from Los Angeles California Mm -hmm. the band started out as a studio project by brothers Gus and Diego Farias Gus Farias decided the band should become a full-time venture Uh, original member and lead guitarist Diego Farias sadly passed away last year and Gus is also no longer with the band, so there's no... I think it's one of those ones where it's like there's no original members. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I do get into a pretty funny fact about them, but we will leave that as a little uh, as a little bit of incentive to continue listening mm. to the interview with Sam Sutherland. Yeah, so this bit of a bare bones... It stinks! It stinks! <laughs> I... Again, I touch on this with Sam... Later, but like I tried to give this a chance, mm-hmm. and like there are a lot of elements that I don't mind about it. Like yeah. if they stripped a lot of just the posturing from it, it would be quite a solid cover. Yeah, but it's that thing where like it starts with the clean vocals and the mm. like the like they have the elements there. That you sort of you don't need to replicate them, but like they have the elements where you immediately recognise they're covering Drake and like quite a nice clean singing voice. Blah blah blah. But then it just goes into like clean singing with someone in the back, like, Go away, huh? Yeah. It's just like So like first time I listened to it, I was like, oh okay, so they're probably just doing a pretty close sound alike to the mm. original without much change. Then that kicks in, and I was like, "Oh, oh no!" Yeah. Um, it just feels like a real, t- uh, like a tug of war, like a fight over what this song should be from internally within the band, and not in a way that seems deliberate. No, like, like there's not that sort of push pull of like two different styles of vocalists, like like they don't intertwined do the- with one another. I, I don't know if it's the correct term, but I like to at least call them either the Beauty and the Beast vocals mm. or the Good Cop, Bad Cop vocals. Sure. Um, like, it, it just feels like, it feels like basically you're listening to a, an indie pop cover of Hold On, We're Going Home, and then you turn over the channel and then it's a metalcore version of the of the same yeah. song, like a cover song, and then you turn you keep turning it back on the radio, back and forth, and it's the same song, playing it exactly the same parts, but one goes from pop to metalcore. Yes. But like bands and like we've covered bands on here that that I feel and I know it's not your style, but I feel do it quite well. And it's mm. I think the ones that I want to see doing it now as a sort of grown-up is not necessarily immature, but bands who it feels like they're having fun with it as well. And this doesn't feel like that. This feels like we are, 
We are a band with a a good vocalist and we're a band that, that is also heavy and we need to stick to these things. And it's like, I don't know. It's not just because I've like heard a million breakdowns by now, but like Sam has his arms in the air just for illustration. The breakdown is just kind of just is lackluster by the end of the song. Like it's, and that's again, like it's just, I'm so fucking tired of these unnecessary breakdowns where they're just like, ah, oh, fuck it. We'll just put it in the end. Cause, cause we have to, cause we're, yeah. cause we're a metalcore band. We have to have obligatory breakdown. And it's just like, you're allowed to have fun with your music. Like, Oh, but like breakdowns are fun, but not when in the it's just right context. Jum, 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 and like, right. and like, it doesn't need to be in every one of your songs because basically the breakdown is for the function of getting the people in the crowd amped up. It's like yeah. the, it's like the metal version of a bass drop. It's basically building it up to then <laughs> the metal boom. version of a fluffer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Just imagining the combination of those two words and uh, I got no words. Well, that's new. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all out. Um, it, yeah. I, like, I tried and, like, there are... Even well, if you, just, you failed. Huh. Huh. Like, even if you just sort of took a few things away, like, took away the crappy afterthought of a breakdown. Yeah. Took away the need to just have the in the background, like even just took away some of the tone of it, where it, it sort of has this like underlying tone that just makes me feel uneasy. Mm. And they don't, I don't think that's necessarily deliberate on their yeah. part, but it doesn't work with the song. Like the song, you need it to convey the same amount of like, I guess to quote Drake, like hot love and emotion. Like you need it to, yeah, have like a sort of soft like, affection to it. Yeah. Like, it's not necessarily, like, a sexy song. Also, that tone that you were talking about is called the brown note. So... For real? No. Right. Oh. <laughs> but, like, I, I, I get what you mean, like... Because I, I think there are, like, certain tones... Yeah. ...that can fuck around oh, with Oh, yeah, you. yeah, yeah. And there's, like, the ones that's, like, you... Brown can't... note is when you poop yourself, <laughs> yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... Like there's there's those tones where it's like you can't hear them after you know you turn twenty six or something, <laughs> and then there's just ones that maybe maybe volumes is incorporating this sort of tone mm. where I just I just can't gel with it unless I'm twenty unless I'm twenty six and under. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I think we're just not the target market anymore. I don't think we are. Like <laughs> I, yeah. Like there are metalcore bands who can do it good. Yeah. Um, I fell out of love with metalcore, but you know, it sort of became a bit samey to me, yeah. but there are still like, I will say there are still, you know, metalcore ba- bands that can do bands. it well. <laughs> Met- metalcore bands. <laughs> I sell metalcore accessories. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of a bummer. <laughs> it like, Points for effort, but I just, like, for me, I picture, and again, like, I guess this is as good a time as any to get into other covers, like, there are different ways to treat this song that do it more justice than, like, mm. being tough with yeah, it. Yeah, because this isn't, this isn't that song. 
This yeah. isn't the song to be tough with. Yeah. Ooh, got a message. Good usually, for you. usually that's you. Um, um like yeah. I, I'm trying to think of like 2014. 20, yeah, because I think that was 2014 when this album came out. Because uh, Royals was on it and Wrecking Ball was on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, blowing up. Um, I'm trying to think of like what a song would have been that could have still done that kind of like tough guy thing, I guess. And maybe felt tough, but I don't know what. That's okay. Mm. (laughs) So then if you're going to do, my point then is if you're going to do a song that's soft, you got to have fun with it. You got to do something that makes me smile. Yeah. If you're going to be heavy, because you can be heavy and funny, but like. That's exactly it. But like, this ain't it. Yeah. So, first cab off the rank is the main. So this is what I would love out of a Punk Goes cover. And we have the pleasure of talking about the main somewhere down the line. Ah. Um, they contribute a cover. They do a collab with Adam Lazera from Taking Back Sunday. Which, oh, that's cool. So I'm very excited to talk about that and to talk about Taking Back Sunday at length. Um, go Like, just go ham on it. Like, let's do a three-hour long episode. Let's do a hardcore history length episode. About you talking about uh, Take Max Sunday. Yes. Um, we will discuss that at a later okay. juncture. Um, but one thing I really appreciate about the main is they are very good at reinterpreting a song. Yeah. Like, I must admit, I don't know enough of the main's original stuff to determine if this is signature for them, but. Mm-hmm. Every main cover I've heard, they give it a treatment where it really does turn it on its head. Yeah. And they manage to do it in a way where it still, like, it doesn't lose the sentiment of the original, if that makes sense. Like, this, to me, like, they've sort of turned it into, like, a cutesy sort of, like, almost 2011 era kind of, like, I'm picturing, like, I think, the like, the 1975 or, like, Phoenix or like a band like that doing like a jaunty sort of yeah cover of it, but I thoroughly enjoy it. I got eight words for you. Mm-hmm. You're a Google and you know it. Yes, Google, 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 Kimmy. I yeah, I do love the enunciation in this. Like and hide. Yeah, it's if you play this to, like I. Again, like, not the biggest Drake fan, so I wouldn't really know much. I don't know much of his work. Mm-hmm. 
And if you'd played this to me first, I probably would have thought it was an original song. Yeah. Like, yeah. They, they give it that good of a treatment of, like, their own sound. Yeah. That it sounds like one of theirs. That's, yeah, like, that's what I'm trying to um, articulate, and you're doing a much better job. Like, they are very good at just giving it a fresh treatment. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, they have fun with it. They obviously care a lot about the original to put this much time and effort into not, like, completely reinterpreting it, but, like, pretty... They're, they're giving it the the main treatment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, um, I also really like the way that, like... The way that they sing the Just Hold On, We're Going Home as well, yeah. it's quite... Like, it's, again, it's it's doing their own thing with it. It's quite... It's quite great. Like, it's, it's you know, it's still rocky, but it also, like, it still, it still holds that, like, gentleness kind of yeah. dearly as well. Like, it's, yeah, it's just quite a, quite a dear little cover. Yeah. I think, and like, you go. I was just going to say, I, I agree with your sentiment. I kind of wish this was the cover that we were talking about. But Yeah, look, especially since the main are already on the Punk Goes roster, like. Yeah, look, we're, we've moved on from volumes and... <laughs> And I feel like it's it's all smooth sailing from here, but sure. <laughs> like this is like similar to the original. Like I can picture us when we can finally leave a fucking ten kilometer radius of our house. Um, like driving along like a coastline or something, listening to mm. this with the windows down. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I would. I'm at the point where I would drive along a coast. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, because I, I was going to say famously, I'm not famous. I, oh, to those, to those who play from home or know me, I don't like the beach. You're more of an Arctic monkey. I'm a cold simian. Just hold on. So the Arctic Monkeys are our last cover for the day. Yep. I just love this one because it just gives me, like, Uncle at a Wedding vibes. Or, like, Uncle at Karaoke vibes. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like... I thought that was, like, the name of an indie band. No. <laughs> Uncle at a Wedding. Uncle! Exclamation point at the wedding. Like, does that not sound like an indie band It really name? does. It really does. That is my new... Um, I was going to say noise project, but that doesn't really work. It's It'd be more like folk. Yeah, well, it would be folk, like this. Folk it, punk. It would be... Oh, folk punk. There you go. That's a... a that is a weird genre. Well, mix. that's essentially just Laura Jane Grace, isn't it? Well, I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. But it does exist. 
It does, yeah. yes. Um, yeah, like, this is quite... This is also, like, a really good one yeah. as well. And it, it essentially... They do the same thing, but they give it the Arctic Monkeys treatment. This one is truer to the original, I think. Yes. Like, they basically just beef it up with, like, guitars and, like, a more definitive drum beat that mm. isn't a machine. Um, but I love it. Like, it's... To me, like, it's not the best. No. Like, I prefer the main cover. Yeah. To, but this hits a nail on the head for the Arctic Monkeys does Drake. That makes sense. I quite like his voice as well. Oh, he has such a good voice. He really does. And it's... I said to you, like, I mentioned the the Arctic Monkey song. I can't remember what it's do called. Do I want to know? Is that the... No. Do, 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 do. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so it kind of sounds like, to me, it's like their cover of this is sort of a continuation yeah. of that. Like, it just sort of has that kind of swagger to it. Like, this is... It's like I said, like, the main one has, like, holds the gentleness close to its heart, whereas this sort of, it does go, like, give it a bit of oomph, like, we're really fucking excited to be going home. Yeah. Yeah. Like, this sort of, it touches on, like, that sort of sensual feeling of the Drake one and just makes it a bit more overt, I guess, like... This one does kind of have a sexiness to it. Yeah, like, this is the one of, like, all right, we're a bit tipsy at the bar, let's take this back home. Yeah. 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 No. Um, I can hear that. That's made it to my sexy playlist. Well. That. It's that. It's uh, Surfing Bird. <laughs> and it's the uh, the Wendy's Hot Drink song. <laughs> <laughs> Just those three songs on loop. <laughs> and Call Me Owl. <laughs> call Me Owl on 10 hours. Fuck. Um, well... All of it is all of it is just the vocals of those songs, but like with the Wii Shop music replacing no, all of it. That is musical terrorism. Like <laughs> Jesus, that is, that is the music form of sex. Well, Jesus, um, hell yeah, or yeah, nah. Hell yeah to the original. Yes. Hell no, or yeah, nah to I forgot our format. Yeah, nah to the cover. Hell no. Hell, hell no. <laughs> uh, and, I mean, we don't usually hell yeah or yeah now the other covers section. But I'm going to say 75% hell yeah, 25% yeah nah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um, now with extra vitamin R. <laughs> Mark. So, next week we are going... Back in time, I guess? I don't fucking know. Like but- like the interview coming up in a, about one minute? Yes. Yeah. Um, we are covering the song Borderline by Madonna, as covered by Show Off from Punk Goes Pop 1. We haven't done pump, Punk Goes... I was going to say Pump. Punk Goes Pop 1 for a while, so looking forward to getting back into that. I do not know this Madonna song, so... Until next week, thanks for listening and enjoy listening to... This excellent interview that is happening now. So, um, if you consent, I'm going to jump into like the formal interview. I consent. I consent. Let's go. All right. Welcome back to Punko's Pod. We are delighted to be joined by Canada's own Sam Sutherland. Woo, woo, woo. Um, Air horn. I know. I. I'm fucking stoked. I'm going to attempt to introduce you, Sam, but by all means, 
please jump in and edit, modify as you need to. So, Sam Sutherland is the executive producer at Shed Creative, which falls under Universal Music Canada. I was like, I was talking about LinkedIn. Okay, yeah, yeah. uh, Yeah, look, I've just been like skimming it late. It's good. No, no, no. This is good. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He created the YouTube series This Exists, a show about, quote, internet culture and pop ephemera. He also created Extremely Online, a TV show about, quote, quarantine and community. Uh, how I got into him is the he is the host of the 155, 155. How do you pronounce this it? Is like a, this is like a weird British Australian thing. I would say it's the, I would say 155. That's you really made me question it. But do you, do you guys say, what do you, do you say blink 182 or 182? We say 182. 182. Yeah. There okay. A- so then it's the 155 podcast. Beautiful. I will jump in and say my introduction to your work was the This Exists video about black metal and surf music. (laughs) Oh, shit. That's a good one. No one liked that video, but I'm glad that it worked for you. I looked at the thumbnail and went, I'm immediately mad at this. And then I watched and I was like, (laughs) I guess he's right. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people were quite mad about that. There's a channel on the internet that makes these like really caustic hateful sort of response videos to youtubers who talk about black metal and i think they have at least two videos about how much they hate me and it's like it kind of sucks because it would be funny but they use a lot of like quite hateful language um but mostly it's like this dickhead but they don't say dickhead you know uh, doesn't know shit about black metal i'm like yeah sure of course i don't like a guy who hosts a blink 182 podcast from canada like it's fine (laughs) I, I but I'm love, glad that you appreciated that video. I love that with all like the controversy and just the fact that like when I find a new black metal band, I have to look up what their political ideologies are. But the most contentious thing is that it might share roots with surf rock. Oh yeah, that's that's really what's worse. It's like, is it too sunny? Like, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be have like a couple of closet Nazis in your band, but it's way worse to have ever been to California. Absolutely. Sorry, I will let you. No, no, no. I only have a few more (laughs) points to reel off. Uh, So, host of 155, formerly known as Blink 155, the singer, well, one of the singers slash guitarman of Junior Battles, author of Perfect Youth, a quote book about the first wave of Canadian punk and hardcore. He fucking composed Giant Killer Shark, a musical about Jaws and copyright law. And you also recently worked on the Highly Legal podcast with Jay Baruch. How do you say, how do you pronounce his last name? Yes, please. We've looked at Jay Baruchel. Yeah. Baruchel. Shit. We were yeah, like no. Jay Baruchel, mate. Um, Jay Baruchel is good. That feels like very, I'm going to, I'm going to use that moving forward. That'll yeah. be like a Fugazi, you know, Jay Baruchel <laughs> type. Because of course, Jay Baruchel is of a piece with, you know, Hardcore legends, Fugazi. I think that's absolutely. He's Everyone knows this. That's why you didn't know how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, yeah. Look, look. Um, did we miss anything? Is there anything else you would like to add to your illustrious? Uh, no, I mean, like my mom thinks I'm nice. You didn't mention that. Oh. Um, so you could mention that. That would have been cool. Uh, no, you know, I think you kind of hit all the high notes. I think that was pretty. That was that was fairly comprehensive. So thank you Please. very much for your in-depth um, reading of all of my IMDb credits. Look, I, I do my research where I can. Sam. I know, yeah. It's, you, you've covered your bases for sure. <laughs> I actually have a more intimate relationship to this song that we're going to end up talking about on some level that was not included in your 
in your rundown that I look forward to getting to you because I realize yes. that it might not have come up a lot on the podcast or maybe it has and, and you're going to ask me about it but um came up enough uh, to pique my interest um, another, yeah but I have another I have another rock and roll connection to to this week's subject shit I mean wow. not really but sort of love it <laughs> um, just to tease the listeners oh no look we need all the I'm teased all the Are you teased you feel adequately teased I'm, I'm feeling teased <laughs> Good. I'm glad. I, I'm i going to say, like, I don't know if an apology is necessary, but, like, we have... I was quite late for this. Yes, you're right. I do. No, no. We... <laughs> Pump, Pump I would say, say that on mic. Punk Goes Pod has basically taken the formula that Blink 155 oh, yeah. started. And I feel like 155 burst a whole, like like, generation of baby podcasts absolutely it did yeah. yeah um which i think you've featured on a couple of them at least um but yeah uh all cards on the table we stole our idea pretty much from you and josiah so everyone steals from everywhere it is like a genuine honor to be stolen from because i've stolen from so many people like when i started doing this exists on youtube i was stealing from Mike Regnetta and Idea Channel. And I've been very upfront with him about that. Like, I think yep. what he was doing in that era of YouTube was like so fascinating. And like a hundred percent what I started doing on YouTube was ripped off from him. And I told him that I was like, hey, this is great. And he was like, no, they're that I love hearing that. And I think there are a lot of channels that did that. And Blink 55 was just ripping off a format that I think was happening in in TV a lot at that time. Like for me, it was X-Files Files, but I, I've never listened uh, to Gilmore yeah. Guys, but I think Gilmore Guys was like very much the same thing. And so it was like an idea that was in the air that we just sort of transposed into the dumbest possible scenario. It, this is like a little bit of a spoiler, but the episode that is coming out tonight for me at the time that we are recording and tomorrow for you at the time they're recording, because I don't really understand how the... Uh, time space continuum or what's what's the, the the time date line what's the line called uh what's the big line the big uh, line the international date line <laughs> that's the one i was go. gonna say the equator but that's yeah. not <laughs> well, that's another big line there are two really the world's got two primo lines <laughs> the other primo lines but we we on this week's episode we talked about propaganda and yep. we had um one of the guys from unscripted moments which is like a song by song propaganda podcast on and he in sort of asking if he would do the pod he was like oh my god this is great like you know he was very complimentary he was like you guys are like the ogs of doing the kind of song by song thing and i was like that's really funny because again i just feel like i've never had an original idea in my life but then when we did the interview josiah came in like so hot so josiah who co-hosts 55 and 155 was literally like hey man why don't you steal our fucking idea (laughs) to the to the guy from the Propaganda podcast. And I was like, damn, Josiah's really feeling like territorial about what is like not at all an original idea that we did wow. not at all invent. He was joking, but I think, you know. Was he? Um, <laughs> le- yeah, it's hard to know with him. It's hard to know with him. So just know that I, 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 I do not accept it, but Josiah definitely appreciates and accepts your acknowledgement of um, stealing from us. So thank you. Thank you on his <laughs> behalf, but not no. mine because I have no ego. I'm very modest. I'm a good guy. Beautiful. Love your work. <laughs> So I guess, like, I'm just sort of jumping around our notes here. Like, obviously, like, you guys borrowed slash sparked our own sort of current wave of, like, deep dive podcasts. What, like, 
when you're doing these very niche sort of projects, so like Blink 155 or 155 where you'll sort of have like a full season of, say, Green Day, like deep dives, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, like what are you looking for in terms of something that you want to just dive deeply into to the point of it being like sort of Punisher territory in the best kind <laughs> yeah. of way? Because that's exactly well, what we're doing here. Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, you you know this because like what you have centered on is a thing that you just feel like you could talk about for a hundred hours or a thousand hours or 10,000 hours or however many hours. Like I've now had conversations with Josiah and, and, you know, you're looking down the barrel of however many more hours. Like how many episodes have you guys done? So this is going to be 102. So yeah. we, so like you know, it's a journey, right? Oh, we are set until about twenty twenty four, twenty five. I wouldn't be surprised if at some point in the next uh, year or so, like Fearless Records puts out another one and ruins our entire day because we did not think this through. But um, yeah, that's that's the thing. It's like it all seems sort of like it's all fun and games until you're at episode one hundred and two. You're like, oh, this is like this is like a really this is like a prison sentence. Like it is like a really not to make light of the prison industrial complex, but it is like, this is what I've committed to if I'm going to see this idea through. Um, I think the key is, is finding a person that you can engage with, you know, over that length of time. Like, I don't think that anything we, we did would have worked if it wasn't Josiah and I'm like, so how do you, how do you two know each other? We are engaged. Oh yeah, we're together. Well, Um, so you, that, that'll, that'll do it. That, that, that. (laughs) I couldn't do this. Like, so I could not do it. Like I love my wife and I love talking to my wife. Like my wife and I would get divorced if we tried to do something like this together. So like, God bless you for, for, for doing this. We met at a, like a short radio school anyway. So, yeah, like, we, so this is like a shared, this is like a thing for you. Like, right. Then that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. This is, um, so it was my idea. I'm just going to take the credit mm-hmm, for that. Good. Um, we, we would, we, we wanted to do one for a while and then we we're like, Let's do something that we can get some amount of episodes out of. The Simpsons was like, there's too much. Yeah. Uh, the Office yeah. was at like a good level, but then we were like, yeah, but there's so many Office podcasts. And then. And then it it just came to me in a dream. And here we are. Oh, yeah. I love um, it. it. Look, it's more romantic than that. It was Valentine's Day. Oh, it was too. Oh, Valentine's oh, Day 2019. Were you guys engaged before you started the podcast? Or were you getting engaged dirt like doing the podcast? Like was it like on pod? We've had a long engagement. We have a, had a very long engagement that has been prolonged by COVID. Um, mm. We actually like reached out on Twitch last year oh, to yeah. you and Josiah. We were like, "Yo, do you guys want to have like a pod wedding?" But then, like, our actual wedding got cancelled. And so we were just like, yeah, this isn't funny anymore. <laughs> right. Then you're um, like, okay, I don't want to do it on the internet. I just would like no, to have no, my no. normal life back. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, we are just waiting for this all to blow over. <laughs> and then maybe one day we'll happen. actually fucking do the thing. But, um, yeah. As long as the people in Sydney stop being so selfish, you'll be I know. fine. Eventually. Fuck those guys. That's well, what can- I'm hearing. Yes. They can be selfish, just don't come over to our border. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As okay. callous as that sounds, just don't. Because <laughs> Honestly, whatever you can do to sort of keep Australians, I think, like in their designated place, I'm in favor of it. So. Oh, I know. We all just need to take several seats, I think. Um, I'm sorry to say, yeah. No, <laughs> no, you are well within your rights. The last couple of years, I'm just like, we kind of deserve a lot yeah. of stuff that yeah, this, happens. This, this is to all the Australians that go to Bali and, and act like fools. And- yeah. 
That sounds um, great. I'd love to go to Bali right now. Oh, I'd love <laughs> to just go outside of a five kilometer radius right now. But um, <laughs> fuck, we'll get there. Speaking of, yeah. what does COVID normal look like in your neck of the woods? Like, so I live in Toronto, and we have had um, the longest lockdown in I think the world. Like, I, I think it's so. Basically, over the last 16 months, we've been in full lockdown for about 14 of those months. Fuck. Yeah. So it's been really fucking bad. Like, it's been a real nightmare, but it's also been tremendously ineffectual because we have, like, a horrible, horrible provincial government here in Ontario, which is, like, the province that Toronto's in. And um, so it's, like, a real hard lockdown, except that, like, enough things were sort of open, like, you know, Amazon warehouses, so that we weren't protecting anyone who like actually was going out and working and like getting fucking sick and we weren't providing them with paid sick. We were doing none of the things that would have actually, actually prevented the spread of, of this disease. We were just doing all the theater. So like, I basically couldn't go outside for, you know, 14 months. Um, but in that period of time, we did nothing to sort of blunt the spread. So it's been fucking horrible. It's like, it's summer right now, so it's it's fine. You can like go outside and hang out on a patio, but uh, we're headed for a very dark fall. It sucks. It oh, sucks. Shit. It's the fucking worst. It's a te- it's a terrible terrible place to live, and I would not recommend it to anyone. Oh. Except that I love it and I live here, and I will live here till I die. I will, I will <laughs> yeah. not complain about our three months then. Oh. No, that's it. Like I, like other people be like, eh, like, like fuck. You have no fucking idea. Fourteen out of sixteen months locked down, oh, nothing open. Can't go, can't go see your family. Can't go see your friends. Like it's been brutal. Not a good pandemic. I don't recommend a pandemic to anybody in the end. (laughs) Don't love it. Gotta say. Um, No, not a fan. Not a fan. Oh man. I'm so sorry. I don't know why. I just assume that like the rest of the world is doing better than we are. I think just because our PM is such a buffoon that it's just like, of course they are. But um, anyway, that's fine. Let's talk about Drake. This was like, this was like an international, well, this is sort of, peripherally connected to drake because i think like at the time that drake was exploding and sort of toronto went from this like very sort of provincial kind of like also ran semi-american city to to being like more of a i think cultural force in the world there were really two things that happened one of those things was drake but the other thing was rob ford do you guys remember rob ford he was the mayor of toronto God, probably 10, 10 years ago and he he had he admitted to smoking crack so he's sort of like our marion barry um, and he, yes. he was this like super right wing populist guy, uh, man of the people, but like, you know, in, in sort of language only and Gawker, you know, and, and the Toronto star sort of in, in tandem broke that he had, he had smoked crack and there was a video of him smoking crack and he denied it and then eventually admitted him his, he unfortunately passed away, um, his brother is the premier in the province that I live in. And so right. like my, my insanely fucking shitty day-to-day life. I mean, like my day-to-day life is obviously blessed and fantastic, but like yeah. the, the sort of totally bungled response to COVID has all been managed by the like dumber, shittier brother of Rob Ford, the mayor who smoked crack, who was on like Jimmy Kimmel and stuff as like a famous crack smoker. I mean, it was just, so that's that's where I live, and and he was really tied up in like Rob Ford, Drake. You know, there was like city councilors that got involved in everything, and that sort of felt like this moment where like we are a world class city. Like everyone knows the mayor of New York, you know, yeah. 
everyone knows the mayor of Toronto now. Like we've made it. You know, we have a famous rapper and a guy who smokes crack. And that's it. I must admit, like for me, my like my sort of like Toronto has been like its own character. Like for me, that was Scott Pilgrim, like the series. Oh, totally, yeah. Like that to me, I was just like, oh yeah, like I know Toronto. Like <laughs> Scott lives there. Um, but yeah, no, that Scott Pilgrim was like amazing. Like when that when, when those when those graphic novels were coming out, it was so fucking exciting. Yeah, because it was like, you know, it wasn't just Toronto. It was it was like the version of Toronto. That like for for me and my friends like that was where we hung out like those venues were the venues we played at and where we saw bands oh, like it, it that's wasn't so cool. yeah like you know as much as I like love Drake like you know Drake often like sort of depicts and represents the parts of the city that are not as like intimate to me yeah. whereas like Scott Pilgrim was full on like I've played the Rocket existed for like three years maybe and I was like I played yeah. the Rocket like four or five times. I saw I've been to the Rocket dozens of times to see shows and the Rocket is only in the graphic novels but then it's in a fucking movie yeah. it's in a movie <laughs> and they'd be shooting it you'd be walking home from the bar at 2 a.m and all of a sudden you'd be like why is there snow on the ground because you would be intoxicated and it would be June and it would be yeah. because they were shooting Scott Pilgrim but like pizza pizza like such yeah. like trashy local landmarks like the pizza pizza at Bathurst and Bloor is in a movie directed by Edgar Wright the guy that made fucking Shaun of the Dead yeah incredible so I know I mean but Scott Pilgrim I tried to rewatch it it didn't necessarily like I, I feel like I got to get to the end of it I felt like the the um, yeah yeah the, the sort of gender politics of it for as a like a pseudo trying to be enlightened mid-30s man I was like this is fucking this guy's a dickhead man this yeah. sucks and it like reminded me too much of being a dickhead myself. Yeah. But uh, it was cool. It's cool to see like, that was like the Toronto movie from the era that I was that age. Like, is, yeah. is there like an equivalent of that for you guys? Like in Melbourne, is there like a, what's like the Melbourne movie? Well, not so much a movie, but like we've rewatched, I don't know if it got to Canada, Kath and Kim. It's like an Australian comedy I've series. Heard of it. I feel like that's something Josiah watches. <laughs> I know, I know the name. I know the name. It's about a mum and her, daughter and they're both just i mean i don't know what the uh what the canadian but i watched it and went it, this kind of reminds me of the australian trailer park boys but they're not oh, okay, the okay. trailer park but they're they're the sort of people like that and watching that and going oh yeah that's like the ikea that we would drive past and yeah. that's like Sick. the shopping center that we would go to and and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure, like, our movie buff friend and friend of the pod, Richard S. He, hello, would probably have something he could drop in here. I can't think of anything that's, like... But it wasn't a quiz. I was just like, is there a thing that resonates with you? No, that but that's like, the that's thing totally is, it. like, it kind of bums me out that there isn't something that, like, resonates with me. I yeah. guess, like... It will as soon as we get off this interview. I know. It will be like, fuck. Um, yeah, totally. You can, you can guess, DM me. Let me know. Yeah, look, exactly. I think, like, for me, the closest piece of art would be there's this band, Camp Cope, and they live, oh, yeah. yeah, in and around Melbourne. So and good. Yeah, and we live in Footscray, and so you listen to a song like Footscray Station, you're just like, hey, like, yeah, we walk past Franco Cozzo. Like, it's, yeah. and again, because, like, it's a similar sort of lived experience of, like, being a woman in the city and that kind of, like, you can hang on to bits of it and make it your own um but yeah the only movie trivia i know about melbourne is that ghost rider was filmed here a few films have a few films have been filmed over here my um 
my ex-sister-in-law was an extra on the Queen vampire the- movie Queen of the Dead. Yes. Oh, sick. Queen of yeah. the Dead rocks. Yeah. yeah. It's got the got a full soundtrack done by jonathan davis of corn yes <laughs> so good what a man. fucking movie man and that was that was shot in melbourne there was uh, there was bits so there's like a beach okay. scene where it's like they've killed a whole bunch of people and so she was one of the dead bodies and apparently good for like her. that's awesome i know and apparently there was like a clubbing scene that was like apparently yeah. they rounded up like a bunch of like melbourne clubbers and yeah Amazing. which i find quite funny having been clubbing in melbourne before but um but yeah we had a ghost rider was filmed over here we had a sand castle exhibition and in, in our city and he came down to see it nicholas cage that is <laughs> yeah, i was like Actually, the ghost rider himself yeah, yeah ghost i know rider came in on his motorcycle I've never seen Ghost Rider. I have seen Drive Angry, and that is a fucking wild Nicolas Cage movie. I feel like every Nicolas Cage movie is a wild Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> it's, it's, there are a lot of like super tame ones. That's that's for sure. Yeah, we yeah. we watched with with our friend Richard. It was like preparing for like a crap movie night, and it was like nobody else was there. Nobody oh. else was coming for a couple of hours. We watched Vampire's Kiss, and ruined my day. And it's like it's so funny until he rapes a woman and then you're like oh this movie can go fuck off (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's it's not look the politics of vampires kiss are not good but the the performance is that's like a top tier i mean that's where all the nicholas like the really premium nicholas cage gifts come from yeah yeah truly (laughs) like him just going through the gift factory he's just going through the nightclub with the vampire teeth doing like his best nosferatu is just Uh Jesus. That one's great because it's like you truly can't tell what movie they're trying to make. Like he's in a different movie than the director is making. And I love that, you know, conflict that you can like truly feel watching the movie. Yeah. He's a, he's a genius. Like obviously, like, like there's everyone knows that that's not a surprise. He's a genius. Derailed. No, no, all good. <laughs> this is important. Drake. So, why yes. Drake? Why Stan Drake? What is it about Drake that draws Sam Sutherland to Drake? I think in the same way that sort of Scott Pilgrim depicted like the specificity of like my life and the lives of like all the people I was friends with sort of at that time. And you get really <laughs> excited about that. I think this idea that in a moment where you know, we'd already kind of been through the 90s and kind of early 2000s of like sort of hip hop's ascendancy as like a cultural force. But where it was like really fucking happening, where it was just like the the only music that fucking mattered in a, in a sort of like really like mainstream way was like hip hop and like sort of hip hop influenced pop and like, you know, R&B influenced pop. That the biggest star in the fucking world was not just from here, because so many people are fucking from here. Like, you know, everyone in Canada loves to tell you who is from here. You know, like if we're in conversation and you're like, oh, I was watching The Mask. We're like, my, uh, Jim Carrey's uh, from Toronto. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you're like, oh, something, something. Like, man, I, I've, Wave Rules on TV. Mike Myers is Canadian. Like, we just can't fucking stop. Like, we cannot stop telling you who is Canadian all the yeah. time. But none of those people give a shit and none of them fucking live here. And there is nothing intrinsically Canadian about their work, right? Yeah. And there's been exceptions to that. Like, you know, in, institutions like SCTV, you know, that like felt 
intrinsically Canadian, kids in the hall. Like a lot of it's happened in like comedy kind of historically in this country where we have exported things to the world that, you know, the rest of the world really appreciated that truly only could have come from here and depicted like a very Canadian sort of quote unquote Canadian sensibility. And that, you know, showed like if it's something like kids in the hall, you're like, that's like a very Queen Street you know, vibe. And like the B-roll was always Queen Street. It was always like shit that you knew or shit that you kind of grew up thinking was cool. And and we just like had not had that in music. Like there were like big Canadian bands, but it was never an intrinsic part of their identity. And for the most part, Canada had a very kind of like closed star system where the most famous artist here like would cross the border into Buffalo and like no one would give a shit, which is like fine. And a lot of that is because we like, aggressively promote very middling culture in this country for like myriad complicated reasons that I don't think are really part of this podcast, but that's for another time. <laughs> yeah. That's, we can do that. We can do that another, when, when you get to the like episode about, you know, uh, like blue rodeo, uh, on a, you know, punk goes pop compilation, which like blue rodeo does rock. That's not the, the kind of band that I'm referencing here, but yeah. this idea that this person who was like very rapidly and very clearly becoming like the most famous rapper in the world was from here and it was an intrinsic part of his identity at a time similarly where like, you know, my friends and I were like sort of getting, we had sort of graduated from the stage in our careers where we were at stage in our lives where like all we were doing was like drinking seven days a week and like playing in bands and like, you know, making shitty videos. We were like making slightly better videos and we were drinking five days a week instead of seven days a week. And there was this sort of like in your sort of mid to late twenties, kind of like propulsive sense of like what you were going to kind of do with your life and with your talents, right. That, that you were sort of like starting to kind of hone in on something. And then all of a sudden there was this guy who was like from here, who's like very much like that sort of core, I think to like the Drake mythos is, is yeah. this sort of like propulsive, like I'm going to make something of, of my talents um, in spite of these obstacles um, being you know, like a handsome actor, you know, real, real yeah. hard stuff. <laughs> and, and just being so like drenched in imagery from the city and being so, um, so upfront about those references, like even if they didn't make any sense, like we, I live like fairly close now to, to Western road and there's like a track on not the trick or actually it might be, the record this is from, but there's like Western Road flows. Like I was joking, anytime yeah. we walked by, like with my wife, I was like, it's so funny that like Drake wrote a song about Western Road. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, and so it, it's so tied up, like so completely tied up, I think for me and like all my friends in this idea of like feeling like this city that had always felt like very tertiary to culture, you know, yeah. like you grew up wanting to move to New York or LA you know, maybe you want to move to Atlanta, maybe you want to move to Austin, like maybe you want to move to Chicago, but like no one gives a fucking shit about Toronto. And all of a sudden it was, it felt like some, the, 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 the person who like, whether or not you personally, like I, and I did, I do. And I, I, I like Drake. It's like yeah. the fucking person that the world has decided is the coolest, most important yeah. person in the fucking world is from here in the most aggressive way possible. Yeah. And he's like using Toronto slang and he's like referencing streets that you've grown up, you know, seeing was so like, for lack of a better term, like energizing and empowering. And, yeah. you know, and there's shit like OVO Fest that he's doing where like you would, 
you know, do everything you can to like get a ticket to this festival. It was at an amphitheater on the lake and we obviously hasn't happened for the last two years, but like he'd come out, he'd perform. And then it would be like, here's Stevie wonder. Here's Eminem. Here's Lil Wayne. Like, you know, just, you know, here's Kanye. It was the most insane, like bringing shit to the city and like making the city into like a hip hop Mecca, you know, in a way that hasn't totally translated, but I think, you know, there were a lot of people that very that were felt very cynical about it. And I always felt like that was like kind of a shame for them because yeah. to be in the city at the moment of Drake's ascendancy and love the music and like love being from this place was just a, like a truly incredible experience. And it's the sort of yeah. thing that like someone like Josiah would love to fucking shit on, but there's like nothing like it. There was nothing comparable to that energy and to be at those shows and feel like, okay, this is like about us now. And like, take that back and be like, now I can do whatever I want and I can make shit and I can make that shit from here. And it could be about here, you know, what in whatever Avenue that you sort of choose to pursue. Yeah. And that's why I I like Drake. (laughs) (laughs) That is my book report. Um, Yeah. No, I love like the idea of, someone being able to like imbue an everyday location or experience with like this kind of magic that didn't exist necessarily at least not to other people like how you said you're walking down the street you're like I can't believe he wrote about this like it would be pretty mind-blowing to sort of literally have a soundtrack to your life in that sense like it's totally what it was and it's like and you grow up with that again, if you're like fortunate enough to like grow up in like a punk or hardcore scene, you always have that, right? And like Josiah and yeah. I will always talk about that where you're like, oh, this band reminds me of like, you know, your friend's favorite band that you go to basement shows and those things like do make a like mark on you. Yeah. But to have that thing be the most, and this isn't plastic, it's not like I grew up with Drake, but like to have that thing be the most popular thing in the fucking world. Yeah. Is amazing. Because it, it it sort of... um it makes you like feel seen as a person in a place that like otherwise no one gives a shit about like who fucking thinks about Toronto like nobody does like no one thinks about this place we've always thought a lot of ourselves but like no one else cared and then it was finally like okay people care Uh, (laughs) and there's always been and there's been great like hip-hop in the city you know and there's been great hip-hop that like reflected the communities of the city and that you know used like the vernacular of the city and referenced things about the city but it was always for Canadians and that doesn't diminish its value but there's nothing like that being Drake like just there's there's no comparison yeah I think like the closest comparison I personally can make to Drake in terms of CanCon is like the tragically hip like yeah completely completely and like I watched the last show they did and like I'd never fucking listened to the hip before but it just it felt important to witness that because like that was sort of like a cultural institution for Canadians and we all knew that Gord only had X amount of time left. Like it's fucked. And so yeah. like, even from Melbourne, like when I heard the news about him, like it was genuinely a bummer, like to have someone that important, like we have Paul Kelly over here and mm. I'm just like, we have to protect him at all costs. <laughs> at like, all costs, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, like you definitely like, whether or not you align with the music itself, like you can just sort of form that attachment of like, it's sort of supporting the underdog. Like they're representing the rest of us and like, look at them doing like their victory lap 
literally around the world in Drake's case. Mm. Like that's incredible. I totally, totally. get it. I can't yeah. believe, how do you know about the Tragically Hip? Because I that's like a band that I think of where I'm like, they would go to Buffalo and play to 20 people and they're like the most popular band that ever existed in this country. I don't actually know. Like, I think I just read about Gord when he fell ill. Like, and that's wild. Here and just, yeah, something about the music itself. Like, it just sort of... It's good music. It. Like, it is legitimately good music. That's the thing. Like, it resonates with me even though I literally had never given it a second thought until that point. It's just like, well, shit, I'm glad I got the opportunity to enjoy this. Like, Well, that that last show, because it was broadcast live on the CBC, which is our yeah. kind of, like, national broadcaster, um, that final Tragically Hip show was watched by 22 million people, which is two-thirds of the country. And when yeah. I've described that show to Americans, it's like, well, if Bruce Springsteen was dying, like... It should never fucking happen. Yeah. Would two thirds of Americans watch the last E Street Band show? Yeah. Like, is there anything that is arts related? Anything like rooted in 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 the arts like that that, that two thirds of people in any country would unite over? Yeah. And and again, that Gord used like Gord in particular is is like a you know beautiful man, and his entire mission for like the last year that he was alive was related to you know. Uh, indigenous people reconciliation things that we're just coming to terms with this country that we talked about this a little bit before we started recording yeah, yeah. and that's what he used that platform for when the, when the when all of the eyes of this country were on him yeah. you know he spoke directly to justin trudeau at the final show to to sort of hold into account for um you know trying to sort of lead reconciliation with our indigenous peoples which we haven't done but that's what he that's what he did and that's fucking amazing that's so yeah. amazing i that's love incredible. that you saw that that's incredible oh uh, it like it was just one of those things like by the end of it I was just like I am genuinely so upset like this is the most beautiful Mm -hmm. thing um but yeah it was lovely very sad but very lovely we made a a movie about that called long time running which was on Netflix in the states I don't know if it would be on Netflix in Australia but it's a documentary of the final tour and like I remember like we were giving notes on it and you're just like, I'd just be fucking crying. Like, like literally, like I was talking to, like I would be at work with someone. We'd be going over our notes on the cut and we'd just both be crying. Cause it was like, oh. so there's shots in that film that are just like, it's, it's, um, it's a remarkable story. And I don't think you have to be Canadian or love the band to sort of uh, become very attached to him as a person, the band as an entity. And I think the story of what they did and like meant to people here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to completely ruin the flow of this. And no, let's do it. Let's go. Let's talk <laughs> hey! about fucking punk goes pop. Yeah, I know. So hold on, we're going home. That yes. song specifically. What does slash did it mean to you as a song, as a moment, as a single? Like, so like this is like not at all. Like I don't really love this album that this yeah. is from, but as a single like because i just think it's like this is where like you know there starts there's a lot of filler on this on this album as a whole which was sort of like disappointing but this song oh my fucking god like you know because the the sort of like r&b drake that we had had I don't think was like this, this straight up poppy, like this, just like, you know, like real, like eighties kind of just like pop slow jam. 
was even more like aggressively soft than the stuff that people had made fun him for made fun of him for in the past for like being soft about yeah. and it's such a fucking great melody and in your head he is like singing about toronto right so like even though it's not quite like a fucking cn tower western road flows type anthem it feels like very deeply tied to toronto and so i i, I think of this song as being like in an era where you know we had a, a buddy of mine that would dj you know every couple of weeks at, yeah. with this bar initially it was like cloak and dagger on college and it was handlebar in kensington market and like this is one of those like necessary like it doesn't go the way like when started came out it was like started would begin yeah. and yeah. that would just be like a you know like shit gets fucking smashed kind of situation <laughs> yeah. this was yes. more of a like anthemic like slow jam situation and i remember yeah. being at ovo fest like the first time it got played and just and and being like with all my friends up on the lawn in the amphitheater by the lake like i can picture this as like a memory that like i will always have of like one of these festivals that song is playing and you're just like it's so fucking beautiful as a song and yeah. so like succinct and like really to my ear like a really perfect pop song and uh, that's my memory of it is I just think that this is like a, I think this is like a top tier Drake song. And as like the, like really like slow melodic stuff goes, I don't think there's a lot that kind of touches this. Cause you get like shit like Marvin's room, which is like, so like, so slow and so sparse. Whereas this has that like, kind of like, there's like enough of a, you can't put on Marvin's room at a, at a fucking bar. Like it's yeah. just that it's like too much of a mood killer, but like this, you can kind of put on and like, it just makes everyone feel like very sexy. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Is, that is, uh, that's a remarkable achievement. Like if you can make me feel sexy at 1am at Cloak and Dagger, <laughs> then you've done something, you've done something remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think like neither of us are, that well versed in drake but like to me even like from the works that i've heard of his like i just i agree with you like just in terms of like the pop sensibility like it's stunning like mm -hmm. as soon as i like the first time i heard it i was like yes i'm on board and like it doesn't get old in that sense and like it doesn't go like it starts at the same gear that it ends in and like yeah. it doesn't really pick up but at the same time like like, there's nothing wrong with that <laughs> yeah no it's just it's just a very like it's a straight fucking line and yeah. and i think you have a sort of retread of the same territory with hotline bling which is like much yes. less interesting to me obviously like an incredible cultural touchstone but like yeah. i don't really care when hotline bling comes on like i'm not like energized by hotline bling in the same yeah. way like it's fun it's fine you get it you you do the dance and, and shit but like <laughs> this to me is like I wish this was the, like, this is obviously a big hit. It's on this album. Like people have covered it. It's like, this is, I don't yep. know where this sort of sits in the like Apple music or Spotify rankings of Drake songs in terms of how popular it is. I, I'm sure it's not as big as hotline bling, but it's like the same kind of territory. It's the same tempo. It's the same vibe. It sort of serves the same purpose in like a concert set list, yeah. I think. Yeah. But it's so much more, I mean, what's funny about even the cover of this, and I'm sure we're going to get into specifics of the cover is like, and then maybe I'm jumping ahead here, but I, I had played in a Drake pop punk cover band called Thirst Behavior. Yes, um, yes, yes. It, you know, um, named after the song on this album also called Worst Behavior. And, you know, for 
maybe five years in a row on the weekend of OVO Fest, we would play. And it was like, you know, myself, um, two of the guys that were also in junior battles with me, another good friend of ours. I got to play drums, which was always really fun. And like this song as like a fucking pop punk song. Like if you just like double down, like it's a fucking perfect pop punk song, which like that's always the test to me, right? Hotline Bling, you can't play as a pop punk song. This is like a perfect pop punk song, just very slow. And that's all I look for in music is like, could it be pop punk? Great. Yes. Yes. That's, it's just a perfect like litmus test of like, is this capital G good? Can it translate? Yes. This is one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast is because it's like the one time a week I get to like crawl out of my cave that is, you know, extreme metal. (laughs) Yeah. And listen to something that that doesn't make me want to die. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, this cover might make you want to die. Yeah. I was about to say, speaking of. (laughs) I will just say I'm on Spotify at the moment and I'm looking at Drake's popular songs. This does not make it, but neither does Hotline and Blink. So that ah, oh really? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. If, I don't know if popular if, is like the his most popular, but yeah. If you do feel so inclined, because you both said like you're not necessarily super familiar, and we'll say this: if when this is all over, you feel compelled for a taste of Toronto and you want to listen to Drake, yeah. um, the the real the real album is the mixtape. Uh, if you're reading yeah. this, it's too late. Like that is. Yeah, that's the one yeah. that's like that is the drake that when i think of drake that is the drake that i'm thinking of and i'm also thinking of this drake i think of started i'm, I'm thinking of take care i'm thinking yep. if you're reading this too late and i'm thinking of a few of these songs but yeah you're right it is not damn like, i was i was shocked that hotline bling was not on there yeah i guess it was wow. sort of like a very sort of cultural like <laughs> sort of like a is Hotline Bling just like not on streaming or something? Yeah, was oh, it just maybe. a music video? Yeah, no, be... holy shit, it's on. What the fuck? That's that's shocking to me. When I put in Hotline, I guess this is my searches anyway. The top one is the Hotline Miami soundtrack from the video game. Yeah, See, yeah, that might just be you. Point. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they that's, know what I want to hear. That's the algorithm at work for sure. Yeah, well, this song is like higher on Apple Music. This song is higher than Hotline Bling. I guess Hotline Bling is like a meme more than anything, right? Yeah. I would be interested to see how much the video has been watched. I mean, that video is, I'm sure that's in the billions at this point. Yeah. It's Drake. Yeah. It's so crazy. All right, now I just want to listen to Drake. This is great. So yeah, okay, if you listen to Drake later, do, do if you're reading this. Do It's like the morning for you, so like that'll give you, take, take care is like a bummer late night record. Beautiful. I will keep that in mind because I need all the energizing I can get at the moment. Yeah, um, do that one. That one's the shit. That one truly is fucking awesome. So, volumes. What do you think of the Punk Goes cover? <laughs> <laughs> Again, I think because, like, specifically, so, like, you gotta understand, like, I mean, I've played in bands for a long time. Junior Battles is, like, you know, we've been a band now for, like, over 10 years. You know, we toured a lot. We put a lot until we all decided we needed jobs because we were like too broke and depressed. Like I put a lot of effort into that band and so did, so did all those guys, right? I mean, everyone puts a lot of effort into their bands. We started doing this thing, Thirst Behavior, and it like immediately made so much more fucking money than Junior Battles ever did. And then we got 
a write-up in the Globe and Mail, which is like one of the national newspapers in this country. Like it was like an interview with us about the, uh, like year two, you know? It was yeah. so, and Ed, like, look, here's the thing. The bottom line is, I think Junior Battle's a great band. I think Drake's songs are possibly better than Junior Battle's songs. I will accept that. So it's it's fine. But it was like, you know, this this sort of like really shocking kind of energizing little success that we had and we put a lot of work into it like we put a lot yeah. of effort into like arranging the songs making them work like Aaron who, who plays guitar and then Daniel who's playing second guitar like both fucking shred we had a lot of fun with it and we called it like a pop punk we called it champagne pop punk champagne poppy yes beautiful um, yes and to be honest it wasn't really mostly pop punk like if anything it was like I don't know, like it was like rock, but it was like vaguely Deftones-y in my mind. Like it was more like nice. heavy than anything else. But this song was one of the songs that as I was like sort of miming it before, like we played straight up as a like Blink-182 pop punk song. And it was should uh, be. Like, so, yeah. just hold on, we're going home, going home. Like it's it's so good. And that's so nice this song started, it was, it was fucking sick. And this song, this cover started and I was like, oh, these guys biffed it. Like they biffed it so bad because they just kept that like mid tempo, which in this context makes it sound like a fucking Hoobastank song. Like it's so <laughs> yeah. gross, middling. Like, and I, I get that sort of the evolution of these compilations was that like they truly stretched the definition of punk. But yeah. holy yes. fuck, it's just so plodding. And yeah. like- unimaginative and then there's just the breakdown at the end because they yes. like are contractually obligated as a metalcore brand to have a have a breakdown i fucking hate i hate i literally halfway through it i was like i can't finish this and i like paused it and like did something else and then came back and finished it and was like yeah because it's like four minutes long yeah, yeah. I, who is this band? so do you know anything about this band like i originally was like couldn't I've done the run sheet name. already, but I, uh, I... Volumes. Volumes, right? So, yeah, I think a Wretched. lot of the time... <laughs> a lot of the time with these bands, like, there's not a hell of a lot available to talk about unless you're, like, a super fan. And that, like, we we try not to get too deep. Like, we want to give the listener enough of a background without going, like, super ham on it mostly just for our own sanity um mm. sam you're making a face no i thought this was the um we already did the band that was the the side project for the lead singer of escape of fate oh fuck no no we already did that band didn't we, did we? it was like the side project then they kicked him out of his own side oh project. yeah yeah that was very funny <sighs> yes as it goes um, yeah yeah exactly I, I do have, uh, so I did do a little bit of research into them. They're, they were from Los Angeles and they formed in 2009 and the lead singer got kicked out of uh, a, uh, what was it? What's the, what's the theme park franchise in America? Um, Six Flags? Six Flags. Hey. So in January 2013, volumes were evicted and subsequently banned from Rocket Town in Nashville, a facility, oh, Rocket Town. A facility with entertainment space, a coffee bar, and indoor skate park. Sick. Vocalist Mike Barr claimed it was because he dedicated a song to a gay friend, because I think this was like a maybe a Christian music I'm, festival. I mean, if you're in Nashville. But then, yeah. however, other reports claim the bar was hardcore dancing too aggressively during other <laughs> band sets. Right. Honestly, like, 
He sounds like a I great would definitely guy. be like it was because I was too fucking supportive of my LGBTQ two exactly. plus ally. Like, yeah, I was I was just being too good of an ally. And now I'm banned. I was no, I wasn't the asshole. Yeah, I there was, are people. I'm 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 banned from the dance cave in Toronto, and it is because I'm too good of an ally. Not that I smashed too many glasses because I was drunk. We. My family is banned from the local video store called Palm Video because they. <laughs> I, I went to return my brother's rented copy of Varsity Blues and Jesus. I put it in the slot and the slot was rusted, so it was just it was just sitting out and someone stole it on the street. Too bad Palm Video's closed. <laughs> yeah, see, I I heard that you're banned from Palm Video because you're too good of an ally. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. the rumor. That's the rumor. So good on you. Good on you. Like ten years old, I was too good of an ally. I know. Like that's um, what I've heard. I heard you were born. You were born progressive. I was too good of an ally, and I also stole Varsity Blues on VHS. Yeah, that's both two things can be true at once. Exactly, <laughs> two truths. Um, what are you banned from, Emma? Oh, fuck, I don't even know. I'm just not. I don't know. I'm at that point of lockdown brain where I'm just like, I want to make a joke about like I'm banned from serotonin, but like. That's- <laughs> yeah that's good that's know. good no that's a good joke that's a good oh, lockdown thank you. joke for sure yeah. and how about that like airline it. food and guys you're, and you're an ally so exactly and i'm an ally um uh-huh. i heard I you think... don't have serotonin because it's yeah it's uh, too many other people have been denied it exactly yeah. exactly if we all can't have serotonin i'll, I'll get that's serotonin it. when we can all have serotonin yeah that's your pledge that's your pledge exactly um i think like with the volumes cover i've been working well, I want to say really hard, but that's a lie. But, like, I've been working on trying to get, like, work past my bias against, like, easy core, middle core stuff. Because, like, I just, it doesn't gel with me. Like, I've had this mm-hmm. conversation so many times on the pod where I'm just like, fuck, like. And, like, especially the last couple of albums basically become metal core. Goes they pop. really do, metal yeah. Core um, it's gonna be it's gonna be a grind. I mean, I remember this from the last few Blink One Eighty Two albums. So yeah, not metalcore, but just bad, you know. Yeah. And it's just like, so it is refreshing to hear when other people are like, yeah, that breakdown was unnecessary. Mm. Um, It just, yeah, like I really, I tried to like this song, well, cover, I should say, but like it just, yeah. For me, I was quite happy to take on like the sort of pedestrian element of like, they just sort of do Hooverstank, but like, yeah, and then it turns. I'm just like, nah, fuck this. Like, I've given you. Like, there are like there are some that it's like some of the metalcore songs. It's like, okay, they're doing this with tongue firmly placed in cheek, and this yeah. one is like, well, they're not, and it's just they're just not even trying. Like, it's nah. the, the breakdown is tacked. Like, it's literally tacked on. Yeah, they're like, yeah. why is this happening anymore? Yeah. It's it's just so unimaginative. Like, you can do that shit. Like, you can be funny about that, you know? Yeah, but that's not funny wouldn't make my uh 2008 top 10 breakdowns video no so <laughs> um do you have I, a 2008 top 10 breakdowns video no oh, but that okay. was just that was just a very myspace 2008 yeah yeah, yeah that's top 10 fair, yeah. brutal breakdowns top 10 pig squeals what yeah you never heard of a pig squeal before no i've not that was a deathcore thing oh okay yeah. well shit you, you, I think you, I you guys have be... some time left in your engagement you, you still have some, some stuff to learn about <laughs> i know we're learning something new it's, about each other every day it was literally yeah. a, a phase where men would would make their voice sound like a pig squealing okay yeah it's, it, yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like an inward breathing thing i think 
<laughs> not good. Not good. Don't like it. No, not a fan. Um, I guess like before we let you get back to your life. evening and life, like a dank cave. The, the the sun is not even I, that far down. I just like I don't know why it looks this fucking dark all of a yeah, sudden. Yeah, I was like, I'm not going to comment on it, but it's just quite depressing. It's, the it's like eight o'clock right now. It's not this dark. I swear to God, but it's an old it's an old computer, so it's like it's fighting. No, oh, for, for people not consuming this as a visual podcast, I like look like I'm in a cave right now. <laughs> if you consent to us doing a cheeky print screen, I wouldn't mind just putting like because <laughs> it's just quite cute. Um, but yeah, like one thing I've been very keen to chat to you about in general is just like how you bring to the table and like maintain like that sense of earnestness when it's so easy to fall into like irony territory with these kinds of projects. Like, cause we've had the realization in the last like month or so it's like, we're for earnestness. Yeah. yeah. And I think like, even like listening to blink One Fifty Five in that, like I, I kind of always visualized like you are sort of the foil for Josiah in terms of like one of you is very optimistic and very sort of earnest. And the other is quite. He's a dick. Being... It's true. He's yeah. the mean one. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's he's what I'm the hearing. mean one. Capital M mean. What are your thoughts just in general? Like, I'm tr- finding it hard to, like, form a question, but, like, what are your thoughts on just sort of genuinely being into something and not, like, regardless of how that thing is perceived? Because I imagine, like, even with Drake, a lot of people are probably like, oh, like, he's such a oh, soft, yeah, like, like... I think, like, also, because it was so mainstream, um, like, it's it's easy, like, especially if you're into punk or into like independent culture you know i think it was like very easy to dunk on it and it became like so like you know drake got the key to the city here like it became so over the top but it was also great and i think um you know i i think i'm just very fortunate to have like at various times i've wished that i could be like more ironic and more like detached about the things that i like um or that i could like cooler things you know, because I just don't, I just don't like cool stuff. Like I really like Blink-182 and I like Drake, you know, and there, and there are like things like, you know, I, I like a handful of extreme metal bands, but it's like not really where my heart is, you know, like I like I'll put on, I don't know, Gojira's like the most mainstream version, but you know, it's like, I can listen to that shit. I'm like, this is tight. Like I'm going to see I Hate God and Napalm Death and Guar as one of like my first shows back. Like there are things that I like that I objectively recognize as being like, I Hate God is a cool band, right? I'm good, but I do not like I Hate God as much as I like Drake. Like I do not like Napalm Death as much as I like Blink-182. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I've never really interrogated it too much. If I had to, if I honestly had to guess, I think a huge part of it is probably coming from a position of like fairly immense privilege and just like, as a result, being like a fairly confident person. Like I'm, I'm, you know, lucky to be instilled with an unearned sense of my own superiority such that like, I don't need to communicate to someone that I'm like worth talking to by having a good cultural opinion. You know, like I don't necessarily need to have seen every movie in the Criterion Collection to be like, I'm going to talk to you about movies now. And I do not need to, you know, have every, you know, deranged record seven inch to be like, I like punk because I like, I just genuinely like the things that I like. And so like, if I had to put it in a vacuum, I think a lot of it is that. I think it's just like, I have never had any sense that I like need to 
disguise myself in order to be accepted by people. It's, I cannot believe how dark it got. Like I keep seeing myself <laughs> in the window and I look so fucking scary right now saying this. You've but lost like, your hair. Yeah. Like my hair is just, I'm just like a fucking forehead in the, in the video right now. But like, I just never, um, you know, outside of like general pressures that like everyone feels like felt a pressure to sort of like try to conform my tastes um, to be accepted. And, and as a result, like now as a sort of like fully formed, somewhat fully formed, somewhat adult, um, I'm even more confident in those things. And uh, especially in the sort of four years that Josiah and I've been doing Blink-155, you know, one of the most satisfying things about that process was because I objectively do think that like, Josiah is cool. Like Josiah like yeah. dresses cool and Josiah like does like cool things. Like Josiah watches Criterion Channel, you know? Yeah. And like, I canceled my Criterion Channel subscription, you know? Josiah That's listens right. to ambient music and I like sometimes put it on when I want to relax in the bath, yeah. you know? And and so being part of this like extended conversation with someone who I, I think is like quote unquote cool yeah. and and then to like constantly be in a conversation with an audience that has like people that I think are cool and smart in it, but that ultimately like realizing that all of us shared this sort of passion and it's like fine, you know, it's funny to be like, Oh, I, you know, spent years of my life talking about every Blink-182 song in excruciating detail. And then people are like, that's fucking stupid. And you're like, it is, but like, think of the people that I met and the conversations that I was able to have. And I think that has I think just brought that out even more in me. This this sort of like level of of sort of confidence in liking the things that I like, recognizing their faults, which I think is really important because I think there are people who like like very mainstream things, but they're also like impossible about it. Like it's yeah. it's it's not like every person who likes Blink is like as cool as us, you know. Um, <laughs> still, there still has to be like some fucking caste system, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think you know, the, the way that the internet to be corny about it has like created this sort of like flattened democratized platform for connecting with people about, again, like Blink is a funny example because it's so mainstream, but that's sort of the point to me is that like you can find people in that environment who are like you and are, you know, you mentioned Twitch early on, it might be before we started recording, like, yeah. you know, we were doing Twitch streams and we were like raising money for Black Lives Matter. And it was like all of a sudden, like doing things that mattered weren't just like the the territory of like cool, smart people. Yeah. It was like, we could do it with our dumb fucking thing too. We could make a difference. And I, again, I think that all just sort of builds up confidence in like just very earnestly loving the things that you love, recognizing their faults, um, but not like backing down when someone who has a cooler haircut than you says that they suck. <laughs> that's good life advice in general i think um I think so. just don't trust people with good haircuts yeah some jabroni with a cool haircut tries to tell you you're not cool just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna circle back and say that if you think that a lot of the black metal musicians are cool don't forget they all are tolkien fans so exactly yeah no it's important to remember that like these people all play dungeons and dragons which is cool like which is yeah. fucking cool yeah but it's like not intimidatingly cool like like how Varg has like an impenetrably difficult board game that he's made. Like Yes. And he's been to jail for murdering someone. Oh like, yeah. You know. Far out. People are complicated. Sorry. True. Guys. We are all rich tapestries. Exactly. Um, what would teenage Sam think of twenty twenty one Sam? Like do you have like I've been thinking about this a lot just because a lot of the music we've been talking about has really transported me back to being 
a teen and like those formative sort of years and like yeah sort of just reminiscing like man I wonder like would I have realized that I would be this person at 30 when mm-hmm. I was 15 yeah I, I you know I, I am I have always been proud of and I've could become more proud of like somewhat of a through line in my life yeah. you know like I was hanging out with a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in a long time like we've been friends since like the seventh grade and we didn't see each other for like I don't know 10 maybe 15 years and we were hanging out we were sort of joking I was like I just look the same as I looked in grade eight like and I know I think people should people should evolve and it's healthy and like you know that's good but I think you know I kind of like started liking some shit when I was in grade seven and in some ways I've turned that into a hobby and a job. And I think that like, as a teenager, I would be like, that's fucking nuts, man. Like that, yeah. I probably would be bummed that I like drink. Cause I was like, really, really thought drinking was evil, but I'd be like, no, drinking is actually <laughs> tight. If you're into it and you can handle it and you know, whatever. Um, so that's the only, I think younger me would be like bummed that I'm not straight edge maybe. Um, and that might, that <laughs> might be the only. Broke it. Yeah. That'd be the only like, problem that i might have with teenage me i think otherwise he'd be pretty stoked well you are very close to disappearing entirely i'm like fucking i cannot i wish you could see how like not dark it is in this room like i i look like a goblin i appreciate it usually i get a screen like this is so fucking insane i'm just gonna look like an extra from the bohemian rhapsody film clip yeah yeah Yeah, just like a faceless so good yeah. Um, before we let you go, anything you want to plug? Anything you want to promote? Any views? One fifty-five. Yeah, it comes out every week. Uh, it's good. We're wrapping up Epithet Month, and we are starting a new exciting theme. I think we talked about it in this episode. And again, Tom, uh, September is going to be um, homework month. So oh. we're going back to school. It's homework month. We'll, we'll sort of reveal what that means as the month rolls on, which I'm really excited about. And then we did a second season of Extremely Online, which is sort of the offshoot of This Exists, um, talking to people from sort of really interesting online communities. Um, and we shot it all during quarantine. And so this season is all about mukbang. We talk about Dungeons and Dragons and like Zoom Dungeon Masters. I think it's like a real improvement on season one. It's got some like amazing people in it. And so those episodes are coming out on YouTube in September as well. Amazing. Thank you, Sam Sutherland, so much for taking time out of your schedule and sitting in the dark to talk to us. Again, it's not um, that dark. It's just not that dark. It's just the narrative I, I like, like to this. build up in my head that this is just how you podcast. Like, I mean, this is how I podcast, but like, I mean, Josiah and I don't turn on video because we're uncomfortable seeing each other. Oh, that's all it's right. too intimate. <laughs> we uh, will sign off this interview, but we'll give like a proper goodbye instead of just hanging up in your face. But, awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Let me say that on pod. Yay!